I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to This Week in Oil and Gas. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Episode 23. I'm fired up, Mr. LaCour. How you doing today? I'm fired up as well. It's uh, glad to be here. Yeah, brother. Man, I, you know, I'm walking around like I got an S on my chest, son. <laughs> I actually do have an S on my chest, but let's not talk about that. <laughs> oh, all right. Uh, maybe offline. Yeah, I was listening to, uh, let's see, DJ AM. Nobody knows who DJ AM is, but he car- he paved the way for nerds like me that love to mix records. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the oil business. This is episode 23. As I said, we do this every Friday run through a whole bunch of different stories, uh, eight specifically from around the globe. I'm James Hahn II from Tribe Rocket. We are brand architects for Next Generation Oil Field Leaders and you, Mr. LaCour. Yeah, Mark with uh, modalpoint.com. We are the oil and gas sales experts. All right. Being the expert that you are, let's go with the Saudis. Saudis expand price war downstream. Um, Yeah, yeah. More of that? Uh, No, this is actually a good thing to think about. So, um, uh, the Middle East as a whole is an oil exporter, right? But they don't really refine that much. In fact, Saudi Arabia, up until just recently, imported its diesel and gasoline, even though they produce all the crude. And so this is a good article around how Saudis are starting to diversify their revenue stream. Um, Asia Pacific has a big appetite for refined fuels. Think of diesel and gasoline. Uh, gasoline to run passenger vehicles, and you can't do any construction projects without diesel. So Saudi recognized that, so they're spending money to build refineries heavily on the diesel refinery side so they can start tapping into that market. And so this is just a good example of of smart people doing some smart things with their money when they're looking at a long-term strategy. Oh, wow. So this isn't isn't the doomsday scenario that we're that we've been hearing about lately so much about flooding the market and all that this is a different no, no, no. Angle. this is a smart i mean they produce a lot of crude but they don't sell a lot of refined products right mm-hmm. now they're able to capture that downstream part of the business whereas right now mostly they capture the upstream side of the business wait okay so they don't have very many refineries in the middle east no. No. So up until recently, they bought a lot of gasoline diesel from everybody else. They didn't refine it themselves. This this move toward downstream is actually relatively new for them, but I think it's very smart. It's crazy talk. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I learned I learned a lot right right there. All right. We so can are we stop now. What's that? So can we stop now? Stop how? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, folks, we're just making it up today. All right, we have a lot of, of, of Q2 earnings rolling in, and so I figured we'd string a few of them together. Shell Q, uh, 2Q earnings, thicker downstream margins to partially offset the impact of lower oil prices from Ford. Yeah. yeah, and this is trickling through the industry, and it just makes sense, right? The, the um, super majors are the, are the companies that have some downstream components because they're raw feedstock, which is uh, natural gas or crude oil. Those has been cut by 40%. Those, that part of the business is rocking and rolling. So this is a good article on how Shell's upstream side of the house has taken a bit of a hit, but their downstream, their refineries and their petrochemicals are doing really well. So as a company as a whole, they're doing okay. Yeah, and we talked about this, their, their, their quarterly earnings in the first quarter were insane. Do they have, yeah, a, well, we do they have a specific... B- oh, that was BP, yeah. That was BP, right? Yeah, it yeah. was the same story. Their downstream uh, profit margins... Uh, for last quarter rose 67% mm. in their downstream side of the business. That's crazy, right? But that's that's a perfect example of what's going on in the industry where you'll hear people sing doom and gloom like the oil and gas industry suffered, 
And no, part of it is, but part of it's on a roar right now. Yeah, and and here I'm seeing this link, this right here in the in the uh, Shell had the same thing happen the first quarter. Shell's adjusted downstream net income increased by around sixty eight percent year on year because of combined. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. my, that. Okay, just totally transparent. That's roughly the the trajectory that my business is on. So yeah, so so you just add a few you know dozen zeros to that. And then multiply it by 68%. It blows my mind. Yeah. And, and how much do you, how often do you hear about that in the news? Never. <laughs> Never. All right. On to Total. What's going on with them? It's almost the same story, right? Except Total's upstream part is actually doing a bit better than a lot of people, only because Total is so freaking diversified globally. Um, that actually hurt them a few years ago when um, everybody else was making money left and right when, when oil's at $100 a barrel. But now Total's laughing to the bank. It's like, uh-huh, we did this investment very strategically years ago, and it's paying off for us now. How do you mean they're so diversified? Uh, they're in all the major plays around the world. So in some areas of the world, um, you know, I, we talked about this before. Depending on where you are in the world, you may be geographically isolated. maybe a constraint. So you take a company, a country like Japan. Japan produces no oil. They have no, almost no natural resource. They have to import everything. So Total is set up uh, in Asia Pacific to actually produce the crude, refine the crude, and sell it to Japan. They thought about that ahead of time. Um, and so that there's, there's, a part, there's a part of the business that did not take the huge hit that everybody else did uh, when OPEC didn't cut production and when the, the frackers here in the U.S. Uh, oversupplied the market. I got to get you to stop using that word frackers, but... <laughs> Okay. BP less likely. I wanted to follow this story right here because you've been uh, projecting an acquisition of BP for quite a long time. And according to the headline, it says that the CEO said this, BP less likely to be acquired after 18.7 billion settlement. So I'm going to respectfully disagree. Um, if you were thinking about buying BP and they had this huge legal settlement and it hadn't been, and it hadn't been settled yet, nobody had come up with a dollar figure. That would make you less likely to want to buy them because you had an increase in risk, right? You didn't know if that settlement was going to be ten billion or a hundred billion dollars. Now that the the settlement has been, and now it's been settled, and they know that dollar figure. Then when you build your risk model, you know what you're full with. Let me tell you what I think this is. BP is scared to death it's going to be acquired. For the last probably eight months, I've watched them do everything they can to keep from being acquired. And when you're a public company, basically you're acquired when the value of your company in that moment is time is less than what it's actually worth. So uh, BP has done a lot of stuff to try to drive its stock price up. And I think this is an attempt from a public relations point of view for the CEO to say um, to its shareholders that we're less likely to be acquired so they have more confidence, which will drive that shareholder price up. What BP needs now to keep from being acquired is their shareholder price to go up. And they're doing stuff that I, I can't believe they're doing. They sold their wind farm, right? That was their baby, but they needed the cash. They're diversifying, they're diversifying themselves of a lot of assets, which long-term wise is a mistake, but they're doing it to get that stock price up. If they get that stock price up to a certain point, then I'll be wrong. Nobody will acquire them, but they're not there yet. Is there no benefit to them to getting acquired? Uh, you know, that, so the, the shareholders own BP. And so the truth of the matter is the shareholders, if, if somebody acquires them, are going to want to exit at a higher dollar figure, right? If they own 100 shares of BP and it's worth a dollar each, that's $100. If somebody offered them $120 for it, they would think it's worth it. If somebody offered them $80 for it, it wouldn't be worth it. So um, you know, there's the benefit from the shareholder point. The problem is that if you're somebody that's going to buy BP, you're big, you're smart, and you're going to try to buy it when it's the most devalued. 
which means you could go to the shareholders and go, yes, I agree it's worth $100 at somewhere in the past. No, I'm not going to give you $120 now. I'll give you 85 And so you have to make a decision as shareholder BP. Should I take 85 now at the risk that it may get devalued more, or should I cut my losses and agree to this? And that's, that's what happens anytime a one public company acquires another one. What I'm wondering is if he's unwittingly triggering the reverse selling psychology in the market, right? Where no, that trust me, BP has a ton of people way smarter than me <laughs> looking at how to keep them from being acquired. They thought this through. This is, I think, this is a ploy to, to, to drive uh, shareholder confidence up. I'm not saying I'm not saying that that it would be intentional at all. But everybody, and if, if nobody knows what negative reverse selling is, it, it's just where you, you know it probably we're probably not a fit. You know, probably you know, and then the person, no, 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 we are. Um, that kind of a thing. And so, and so it's, it's just interesting to me to think out, think about how that could play out, even when he's trying to drive up investor sentiment, how it might even sort of in an, in a sideways kind of a way, attract more people to him. Just a thought, (laughs) just a thought. Um, you're the, you're, you're the expert on this show. I'm just making things up. All right. Um, this is the thing. Oil prices. Oil prices will rebound, and then we'll talk about how they could go much higher from the same publication, which is Seeking Alpha. Awesome. But let's start where why they will not rebound. So this is a, it's a pretty good article. It's, you know, I disagree with this. Crude oil is a commodity. And so it has volatility in the market based on a zillion things. So that price always moves around. Um, I agree that the $100 in oil was overpriced. If you look at the average since it's been tracked, um, you know, crude runs about $50 a barrel globally if you look at an average price. And the $100 was, was, was a, a bubble in the market. I, I saw that. Most experts saw that. Um, the fact that it, that it will not rebound, there, there's a lot of stuff in here that requires a crystal ball. And he even admits to it. So this is um, uh, Valdemir Zernoff. Uh, with Seeking Alpha. And he even talks about some of the stuff, you know, like what future technologies are out there that could be developed. The truth is nobody really knows, right? What's going to happen geopolitically, especially in the Middle East? Nobody knows. What's going to happen with the world's economy? You know, China took a bump down. And if you look at what's going on now, their stock market is crater. In fact, the government's doing everything they can to keep their stock market from hitting rock bottom. But what happens when that happens is construction problems projects slow down in China, which is one of the biggest consumers of crude oil because of the construction projects and their growth. So there's a lot of if, ands, or buts in this. Um, well, I, it also depends, in this article, he doesn't talk about what his definition is of rebounding. You know, we've said this before, and I'll say it again. We think oil will be 70 or $75 by April 2016. That's not a ton of money, but that's not $45 a barrel either. That's good money. So, um, you know, that's, we That's making that re- a lot of shale plays very economical. Yeah. And so we consider that a rebound. If you go from, you know, $47 a barrel to 75 in a year's time, we consider a rebound. So, um, but the, 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 his opinion about this is based upon facts, you know, right? There's just too many uh, things that you would need insight to the future that nobody has. Well, let's talk about some of the things that could happen because uh, that seems to be the, the theme of the next one. Uh, this can make oil head significantly higher. What's this about? Yeah, so Jonathan actually looked at came at this from a different point of view. He basically went back and looked at statistics and history and looked at what's happened in the past when oil's bottomed out and what happened after that. And so if you look at it from a, a historical statistic point of view, it always goes back up, which is what this article is saying. The thing I find funny <laughs> I about that. this, 
Yeah, here's two authors writing two different articles for the same company with two different outcomes. Um, and both of them are probably more, you know, much more qualified than I am to judge those historical uh, values for that commodity. So um, if the experts don't know where it's going, you know, w- w- you know, what the heck? So what are some of the historical things that he talks about? So he talks about uh, the relationship to the U.S. dollar and the price of oil. He's talking about uh, the fact that OPEC made this ban, which, you know, we've talked about that before. Um, we talked about he talks about the new technologies that nobody knows that they are that might be introduced into the market. Um, he talks about how the um, and I won't use fracking since you coach me. We'll talk. He talked about how the unconventional resources in North America. No, no, not 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 that frackers. The, just the word frackers. <laughs> OK, the <laughs> unconventional operators. How about that? Nice. In, uh, in North America will we'll become cheaper to um, to do exploration and production, which we know is happening right now. I mean, literally right now. So. Um, you know, like I said, this article is well written, but once again, unless he has a crystal ball, he doesn't know anything that, that you know nobody else knows. And you bring up something that is really interesting to me is the is the relationship with the dollar. And I apologize because I just there's a little the the Mac not found sound because I was trying to see if you mentioned QE in this article because I think that that quantitative easing it plays a major role in this. Um, now, if you want me to explain that in, in detail. You know, we're going to have to uh, get together offline on that one. But I just have a suspicion that the printing of of U.S. dollars um, just for the fun of it going on and on and on has something to do with oil prices. But what do you you educate me on that, Mark? So actually, how about I don't touch that um, because that's that's much more a political view of what's going on. I try to stay away from that. Let's talk about something he actually brought up, which I which I, I think there's some facts around. He talked about peak oil. Peak oil theory, right? right. And so um, I will agree that at some point the, the earth will start run out of oil. So you will hit maximum production. And no matter what reservoirs you discover, no matter what new technologies you use, the production will start declining year over year after that. I also think that the sun will run out of hydrogen that's converted to helium, right? And I don't see peak oil happening anytime soon. This is what I think happened. So you have something called peak demand. You know, what is our uh, uh, appetite for using oil? I think peak demand will happen way before we hit peak oil. A place, a good place uh, example of that is here in the U.S. For the last three years, every year we've used less electricity than we used the year before. Mm. And that's not from environmental activists. It's not from people um, pushing new types of uh, uh, renewable energy. That's because our houses have gotten more energy efficient. It's because we're now using tablets instead of cathode ray tubes. Our light bulbs have gotten better. We're over the hump. And we've actually used less crude oil every year. China is now the number one consumer. So if you look at that from a global perspective, you look at the the, the existing Western um, um, civilizations, and you look at the emerging economies, I think we're going to move to where we're using less and less crude way before we run out of this stuff. Yeah, far, far before. All right, what's going on with the STEMs? I know you love the STEMs because you, you teach on Fridays. That's what you do. So Chevron is helping girls get into STEMs. Yeah, so if people don't know, STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, mathematics. And globally, we have a shortage of people that have uh, education. That And the thing I felt that I thought was great in this articles in, um, in uh, U.S. News and World Report is they didn't just talk about um, Chevron. It's AT&T and DuPont and um, you know, a whole bunch of big companies. Intel, really, Xerox, yeah. Intel, right. A whole bunch of big companies realize there's a shortage of STEM talent. Now, the, the thing I love about this article is they focused on young women, girls and young women. 
And, you know, there's a whole organization out there to do nothing but help girls code, right? Um, 40% of, of all the new engineers that enter the oil and gas industry right now are women. And I love it. I love the fact that we can, the oil and gas industry can go out there, find young women, help them, help them have the confidence, help them get the education, help them get the jobs. And we're bringing good engineers into the world, which we have a shortage of. And so this is just an article talking about how these companies have gotten together and they cooperate to help um, um, develop STEM's talent in something called Project Lead the Way which is a nonprofit that basically helps STEMs education through kindergarten to 12th grade. Yeah, I'm actually looking at the the link. It's called girlswhocode.com. So I'll throw that in the show notes at tribrocket.com forward slash TW23, lest I forget to mention. Um, and in, yeah, Girls Who Code, they, they have these immersion summer programs. And yeah, this is really cool. Yeah, and let's, uh, let's flip flop this. Let me introduce the next article. So I had this, <laughs> this Yahoo who wrote this thing on Oil Pro. And it's basically why I love the oil and gas industry. Reason number you know, 1,265,974. What the heck is this about? I don't know. This person is is clearly mentally insane. Um, I don't think he's mentally insane. He is absolutely a little bit different than everybody else. Though. <laughs> All right. We're talking about my article um, that, that I posted on Oil Pro. Anybody who's on my list uh, got, got it as well. This was an interesting experiment because um, I, I don't often post directly – to, to oil pro and and I'm amazed at at, at the the conversation that it started but the story is is that you know I'm, I'm doing a lot of market research for the oil uh, for the oil oh my goodness oil revenue University which we'll talk about in a second but I'm doing the market research and sending a lot of emails to different people and I end up on the phone with this 23 year old uh, young man Khaled in in, in Algeria and and it's that's I just just as a side note of the bigger story, how much I love this industry because here I am in the middle of the day having a video Skype call with, you know, like a, a guy in Algeria. <laughs> it's just awesome to me. And it was just it, 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 talking to him about the, the situation on the ground there, if you will, and how difficult it is because I just take it for – I've just always taken it for granted. Like, oh, yeah, I worked at Drilling Info and now I'll go – start tribe rocket and and i'll grow my business and i'll be you know and it'll be fun and you know we'll change the world and all this stuff but he's over there in in an environment with national oil companies where he he could i I talked to him about this he he could actually start his own business if he wanted to i was like so is it illegal he says it's not illegal it's you know and i summed it up it's it's a suicide mission right (laughs) because you just be throwing money down the drain because you're only you're going to be competing with you know, Shalomberger and Halliburton, and not that they're bad companies, is that they're massively huge companies that have very long-standing relationships with those governments. And so the best thing that he could hope for, and I'm not putting words in his mouth, I'm trying to, you know, just, these are, this is kind of how I took, took it, is, is, you know, the best thing he could hope for is to either get a job at one of the national oil companies or to get a foreign uh, visa. And for me, it, it just it was it, it was a really eye opening experience for me because, like I said, I didn't even th- think I, you just don't think twice about it. Being an American, you just think that this is the way it is, and and we're very detached from reality in in a certain sense in this country because we have such amazing freedom. And it, I always have to chuckle when I see Americans, you know, usually in their early twenties. Uh, not having showered or brushed their teeth for very long, picketing about the 1%, you know? Right. I'm like, 
you are the one percent, brother. <laughs> like yeah. you are you know, James, the one percent. One of the things that you brought in this article, which I think was great, is that there are no small independent operators, right? Yeah. It's only the national small company. There are no royalty owners. The government owns the mineral rights. You, even if you own the land, you don't own the mineral rights. So, you know, like you said, most Americans, this would be like, I can't believe this happens. Well, unfortunately, this is how most of the world is run. We have it very lucky in this country. Just the thought to me, and even every time I think about it, and I've, I've thought about it in a very sort of distant, you know, kind of often the distant i don't i don't know how ethereal way that you only own the surface rights everywhere else but when, after i got off this conversation that particular point really hit home because i've talked to so many royalty owners and there's so many so many wonderful things that happens not just the fact that i can start a business but the fact that so many people in this country you know can i don't know buy a buy a big old truck and drive it around Houston because <laughs> that's what we do. But, um, but you know, the fact it, it just, I would feel robbed of a certain part of my humanity if I was only able to own surface rights. It just doesn't even seem normal to me, but that's right. the way it is. Yeah. And that's, and you know, you talk about the big old truck. Most people in the world are, don't have a vehicle. And if they have a vehicle, they have one, right? Only in America do you have two or only in America do you have the luxury to live 30 miles from where you work, most people walk everywhere in the world. Um, you know, so this, it's, you, you brought some really good points out in this article and it's very well written. So folks, if you get a chance, you know, head out to Oil Pro and read this. This really uh, strikes the message home of how good we have it here. I appreciate that. So, all right, commercial break. Let's do it. Many of y'all listening to this show are small business owners in the oil field, just like Mark and I. Whether you're upstream pushing through the downtimes, midstream fighting for market share, downstream trying to move inventory, or a small service company looking to boost sales, we all need revenue. Like any scale, growing a business is, isn't easy. It takes persistence, patience, tenacity, and guidance. That's why starting in September, TriRocket is launching Oilfield Revenue University. Discover how to drive website traffic, leads, and sales on a scale that was once only available to industry giants. These are the same tactics I use to build Drilling Info's online platform and the same tactics Mr. Mark LaCour used to completely transform his business. Modal Point went from having a team of cold callers, pounding phones, Mark jumping on airplanes, doing, <laughs> doing meetings and all these things across the globe, uh, or at least the country. Uh, and now he's got people. No, across the globe. Across the globe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I've never asked you about it. Yeah. So across the globe. And now he, he got rid of the cold callers. And he does zero outbound marketing, um, and and the leads and everything come to him. What was the we talked we just talked before we got on? What was the the thing that you 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 said you you discovered you ranked for? What is it? Oil and gas expert or something like that? Yeah, just oil and gas expert. I didn't even know that. So I'm in, on the third page for Google as for oil and gas sales expert, which is not something I'm trying to capture. Which means Google sincerely believes that Modal Point is the on the third page of all the oil and gas experts in the world. On the so you're on page three. Page three. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get you moving up. <laughs> we'll, we'll target some, some of that. But anyway, all right. So, uh, so yeah, transform Mark's business. This is a trusted trusted system. It's it's basically a formula, a template, if you will. And uh, Mark actually ended up closing in in Q4 2015, the largest deal in his company's history. That's 10x his average deal size. Now he's talking to at, what is it, at least two or three Fortune 30 companies. So learn how to maximize and convert trade show leads, create print ads that get results, rapidly grow your email list, and take out billion-dollar competitors by ranking first on Google, 
for search phrases across your oil field niche. For more information, visit tribrocket.com forward slash TW revenue. That's Oilfield Revenue University, a proven step-by-step guide to exponential revenue growth for small oilfield businesses. Again, go to tribrocket.com forward slash TW revenue to learn more. That's tribrocket.com forward slash TW revenue. Into the Weekly Onion. Uh, it's, it's, it, it's a story that hits home for me because Jim Harbaugh is clearly insane. And he's and I'm a Spartan. Go green, go white. Jim Harbaugh spends day testing every single seat view in Michigan Stadium. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that's an actual story. Um, I've, <laughs> yeah, guy's nuts. Um, uh, so anyway, extras. Um, I, one of the things that you put in, Mark, um, that, that was, it got about 10, 12, 13, 14 clicks, was a 30-second time lapse of, of, of a topside's installation. Um, I can't remember the yeah. name of the company. but yeah, who, people, what was, y'all have to go see that. This is BB doing a topside installation, the engineering and project management. They're picking up, it looks like a city, and they float the spar rig under it, and they drop it to within millimeters of precision. And then a team of about 500 welders goes and starts putting this thing together. And BP did time lapse, so it's only a 30-second short. But you get a feel for the magnitude of the, of the engineering in this industry when you watch this. It's really great. Oh, that's nuts. That's nuts. I'm also throwing in the DJ AM because it's just too fire, too fire not to share. All right, events, tribrocket.com forward slash events will take you straight to Mark's opt-in page where you can put in your email list or email address and, and you will be sent all of all. I, I totally root. I very much rely on this monthly so that I can know everything that's going on in Houston, but also across the globe. Um, and, and so just go to tribrocket.com forward slash events. The two we're going to talk about today, number one, people and technology summit. Yeah, so this is exactly what it says. This is not a technology conference. This is a conference on people that use technology in their business. So it's a little bit different slant. It looks fascinating. Like got oil and gas businesses, like oil and gas companies could be there. It's going to be in New York. So uh, folks, if you have an interest in how technology intersects your business, you ought to look at this one. And and if anybody wanted to fly me up there, <laughs> I haven't been to New York in a while. I would love to get back to Michael's and. Uh, some of the other places. Michael's in New York City. I'll throw that in the show notes as well. Michael's is is the place where it's it's the it's the business deals breakfast spot in Manhattan. And uh, let's just say I went there very underdressed, <laughs> very underdressed. But it's 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 different energy and it's it's a lot of fun. Um, all right, and then of course we've got to plug some summer. Nate is coming up August nineteenth through twentieth. Uh, you know you've expanded my my view past upstream but nape is like home for me i love megan ledford and all the people over there so everybody head out to summer nape it's in houston like i said august 19th and 20th what do you got for the linkedin group tribrocket.com forward slash linkedin i think you have something to say mark yeah so we need more activity by our members i think maybe james you and i scared people about it. yeah we'd sort of do scare them but i'd rather i'd rather scare people than have them spam the group (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so we don't we don't want spam, but we would love uh, people out there that have an interest in oil and gas to join our group. And when you join, we'd like you to start sharing stuff that's useful. Um, if you have news articles, you have comments about things, share it, and and we'll approve it. Just we're not going to approve stuff if you're honking your own horn or, or sending any spam. But you know, to all of our existing group members, we want you to participate. Definitely, <laughs> you know, please. Yeah. The fact that we came on hard about the spam thing, we're sorry. You know, we're just trying to make sure this is uh, useful and valuable to everybody that's a member of the group. No, I'm not sorry about it. <laughs> spammers I'm not, I'm not spammers must be crushed you, I, yeah yeah so <laughs> they must be crushed start cheering 
Yeah, we love y'all. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we're at we're we're coming up at seven hundred now. It's awesome. So we just got to get uh, you know maybe ten percent of them to share an article. <laughs> um, so all right, uh, shout out to J M King fifty gave us far far five stars <laughs> um, on uh, on iTunes. Great podcast. Well done. Thank you, Mr. JM King 50. If you would like to give us a review as well, you can go to tryrocket.com forward slash reviews and that'll help us out because it dries us up in the search rankings of yeah, iTunes. People. And, and you know what? We do this show every week for you. We don't charge anything for it. Give us two minutes, please. Two minutes, go give us a review and that's all the payment we need. Absolutely. A, a review, a review per show. <laughs> yep. All right, but but more than that, I want to wrap on this because we're going to be recording it at your place tomorrow with green screen and all. Seven essential strategies to make trade show leads paying customers. Yeah, so um, we're going to be at the Modal Point corporate headquarters shooting in our studio. Um, and But what we're actually going to do is talk about converting trade show leads to customers. Now, I just came back from a, a trade show. Uh, actually, I didn't come back. I'm still there. I'm still in the same city. We had trade You're in San Antonio yesterday. still, right? Yeah, still in San Antonio. And, you know, when I was walking the trade show floor, I'm going to tell you the truth. This is a very run show, very well-run show. But I suspect maybe only 3 or 4% of the vendors that are out there actually had it down pat, how to take the people that had an interest that stopped by their booth and convert them to actual real leads. So James and I will go through the, the seven essential strategies that you need to understand if your company does trade shows in order to make sure you bring those people in, qualify them, and put them in the pipeline as prospects. Yeah, and it's and, and it's it's a video. It's going to be about thirty minutes long. Um, and and if you would like to, to get on the list to to get that video, all you need to do is text trade show. So T R A D E S H O W all together, not separate. So text trade show to three three four 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 trade show to three three four four four, and we will send you that video for free as soon as it's done. Which I'm going to get it edited. You know by the end of the day, Friday or Saturday. So uh, that is that is about it. And we're right at the 30-minute mark, which which thank you, by the way, to everyone in the LinkedIn group that, that gave us the feedback um, because this is working out. Yep. All right, brother. Um, I don't have anything else. You? Uh, no, let's get out of here. So, folks, do great work. Pay it forward. And we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys. Please stop using the word frackers. Do you oh, not do, do you not realize uh, what that sounds like? Uh it sounds like